Dear brothers and sisters, grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The title is Grace Changes Everything, and we're going to be focusing on the epistle text, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, the eighth chapter. And we've been kind of hearing from Paul in this chapter eight of Romans for the last few weeks now, and we're really here at the climax point of this chapter, where he kind of wraps up everything he's been talking about right here as he shows us how grace through faith changes how we live and also how we go about living it out in Jesus. We're not working here. So, Brian, if you could go ahead and go forward. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> All right. So if you have the bulletin handy, we're, we're going to be working through uh, our epistle text verse by verse because there's so much good things to unpack in what Paul has to say. So beginning at verse 28, uh, Paul says here, Paul says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So because of grace, God's undeserved love and favor uh, and forgiveness toward us, it gives us a whole new plan and purpose for our life. And God's plan is not diminished or thwarted by our sin and its effects on the world and in our lives. Uh, notice in this verse that, that God doesn't promise that nothing will ever bad happen to us. And yet God isn't just sitting up in the heavens like Zeus, waiting to hurl down a lightning bolt at us for every little mistake that we do in this world. Since he is who he is, he can make either good or evil, bad things in our life, turn out for our good. And it's not always easy for us to accept that, to accept God's control and sovereignty over all things in our life. And yet Paul here promises that everything that happens in our lives, God is doing for our good. Is it, is it working yet? Oh, perfect. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> what kind of... Oh. Hmm. Oh, oh, there we go. It's just taking a little bit longer. All right, there we go. And knowing this, Paul also promises that God stays focused on the goal of our salvation, saving us, and bringing us safely home to him eventually. Paul continues in verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So God's choosing, his calling us to faith, his declaring us not guilty, his reviving and renovating, changing our entire lives, and his eventual calling us to be with him in glory in heaven, all show us God's control in our life, throughout our entire lives. 
You know, we might have our own way of thinking and going about planning for our life, which is good to a certain extent. But Paul here gives us a completely different way of thinking and living. You know, by God's Spirit giving us the strength to do so, we might, as Christians, have to rethink how we go about setting our goals and plans for life, not only for ourselves, but our families as well. Because Paul's saying here, (laughs) Mm. just keep going, because Paul's saying here that through God's plan of saving us, we remember the truth and are released to the freedom of being called God's children. Like I said a couple weekends ago, how God gave us the freedom to be called God's children here in the world. Mm. Yet even though we have these wonderful promises that are made known to us, Satan constantly tries to throw lies at us, trying to change God's word all the way from the very beginning, you know. Right there in Genesis with Adam and Eve. First and foremost, Satan tries to tell us that God is neither for us or with us. That he hates us in our sin. We're on our own. That he doesn't like us not one bit. And this way of thinking drives us to a fiercely independent approach to life. Driving us away from the community of believers here. Focusing solely on ourselves. On no one else, no one else matters, no one else cares, not even God. We find ourselves no longer relying on him for his purpose and plan in our lives. You know, Satan also constantly tries to remind us that you are responsible for all of your sinful actions, thoughts, words, and deeds. And you'll be held to an account, which he's not wrong there, but for Satan that's it. He stops it right there. He makes you focus on that guilt-ridden lifestyle right there. There's nothing more after that. And I don't know about you, but that just makes me feel depressed, anxious, frustrated, full of shame and humiliation. Because there's nothing else. There's nothing better for us yet. And it crushes our entire self-worth and our self-esteem. It can honestly be a very depressing lifestyle. And last but surely not least, Satan reminds us daily that it's your fault, unless you can blame someone else for your mistakes. You know, this type of living makes us kind of fall into that victim lifestyle, always trying to play the victim. You know, when something goes wrong in your life, we always seem to try and pass the blame to someone else. If something doesn't go right, or, or if you make a mistake, you're always trying to find that scapegoat off to the side and say, well, they didn't help me. They didn't tell me what I needed to do. It's their fault, not mine. You might even find yourself blaming God from time to time, saying, God, it's your fault I did this. Why didn't you stop me? Come on, wake up, God. Why aren't you helping me? Oh, perfect. Perfect timing. I don't know how familiar, familiar you are with um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia series um, by C.S. Lewis. Um, and if you haven't read any of the books or even watched especially the first movie, um, I would highly encourage you to do so because the language that C.S. Lewis, who was a Christian, 
um, that the way he illustrates uh, the Christian faith throughout his writing is absolutely beautiful. And it's a beautiful picture and illustration of that Christian faith. And so I want to give you just a quick kind of overview uh, of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, and in this book, and especially the movie from 2005, um, it follows uh, four young children who uh, are relocated to kind of an isolated large country home during uh, wartime. And during their time there, they happen across a, a magical wardrobe that transports them into kind of an alternate reality, uh, the magical land of Narnia. And while they are there, they, they come to realize that they are there because they are meant to fulfill a prophecy in which they'll help to save Narnia and bring back peace and order. But while they are there, the youngest boy... In the, among the siblings, Edmund, he commits a terrible mistake, a horrible sin. And while they're gathered, because it's, it's, it's a story of good versus evil, and while they are there with the good armies under the leadership of Aslan, the good lion, the white witch, the main antagonist of, the, of this entire book, comes to the camp and she demands for the life of Edmund to bring him to his destruction, which she sees as her right to do so. And so, of course, Aslan has a very hard decision to make, but ultimately he convinces the white witch to reluctantly give up her claim on Edmund and to leave him be, albeit that Aslan gives up his life in the place of Edmund. And the scene ends with a powerful uh, roar from Aslan as he roars at the white witch, causing her to go into submission and to leave the encampment. And everyone is rejoicing and celebrating. But Aslan knows what must be done now. And they'll meet once again later on down the road when he gives up his life for young Edmund. And you see, that's exactly what Jesus does for us when you think about it. Because you see, even though we deserve destruction, even though Satan came up to us daily and presented accusations against us to Jesus, to God, Jesus has come to make us children of God who are free of the wicked accusations of Satan. Going back to those lies that Satan tried to tell us, Paul says in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, he gives us reason to not be afraid of what others might think or say about us or try to do against us. Because we know that God is right there on our side as his children. He's fighting for us. He's there with us. And Paul continues then on. He says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, Paul reminds us then that not only is God for us, 
It also shows his great and uncompromising commitment for us to save us, to show us his love and his forgiveness all because of the cross. And we're convinced that he is who he is because of what Jesus did for us. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And because God gives up his son in our place, Satan can't bring any more charges or accusations against us any longer. Why? Well, it's because of what Jesus did. God's taken our charges and completely dropped them. The case is closed. We're not declared guilty. Satan can't accuse us any longer. We're declared free. And so who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? And in this newly given freedom that God has given to us, we now live as sons and daughters of the king because the lion of Judah stands beside us. He's with us. He pleads to God the Father on our behalf. Because of Jesus, that Lion of Judah, there's no more condemnation. Because the Lion of Judah took our place, took our punishment, took our destruction. It's because of his great love, his grace, his forgiveness, the very thing that changes everything in our lives. It's no longer about winning but it's the reality that we've already won. We are more than conquerors. Paul goes on to say in verse 37, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, we're not in the process of winning eternity or God's favor or even his security or protection. You know, it's already a done deal. It's case closed. Victory sealed. You know, being born and raised in Wisconsin, and I've already received a lot of uh, flack from you all <laughs> for being a diehard fan of the green and gold, which is understandable. I was prepared for it. But I've come to notice that in all of our games as Green Bay Packers, watching them as a fan, it always is so frustrating because it's always a tale of two halves when watching their games. In the first half, they come out completely flat, terrible. It always seems to happen against you all, the Vikings, for some reason. And we as fans are watching there or listening on the radio, and we have no idea what's going on. What is wrong? Why are they playing so terrible? And yet they go into the halftime locker room and then they come out for the second half and it's a completely different half where we had been questioning the commitment and the ability for them to come out victorious in the first half. They completely change our minds in the second half. Nine times out of ten. Sorry to break it to you all as Vikings fans. But it gets me wondering where we question the commitment and the resolve and whether or not our favorite teams will come out victorious in the end, 
I wonder why we sometimes find ourselves questioning the commitment and the resolve of our God. Whether he's going to come out victorious in the end. We question the end of our story as his people. Whether God can ultimately get it done for us if he can seal that victory. Can anything stop God from loving us? Can anything limit God? Well, Paul has a clear answer to that. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. According to Paul, definitely not our sin. Jesus has paid that debt fully. Our sin and failures can't separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even the effects of sin can separate us. Not cancer, not any sickness or illness, not even COVID, not job layoffs or unemployment, not moral failures, not social injustices, racism, social unrest in our communities and violence in the streets, not all the hate and lies that you've been spewing from the right and the left in these upcoming elections, not evil's full court press, not all of the life and death that we see in this world, not even Satan himself. You know, Satan, he likes to play a mean game. He likes to try to accuse us and attack us daily, but he can't win the day, brothers and sisters. Because you see, he's brought right into submission because God is greater than all of that. Each and every effect of sin, even greater than your sin and my sin. And with this powerful reminder, we're given the strength to live all in and all out lives. Because we're not afraid of losing as children of God and being discouraged by anything that troubles us, any suffering or adversity that comes up in our life. We're able to live lives as people of God who have nothing at all to lose in Jesus. And yet because of Jesus, we have everything to gain here in this life as well as the life of the world to come. In this life with Jesus on our side, we're able to offer up our own lives now following his example of great love and service by loving and serving those around us. I don't know if you've seen recently the last week or so um, in the news or on social media, but there's this wonderful story um, and it has a good ending, um, about this young six-year-old boy from Wyoming, uh, Bridger Walker, uh, who has a younger sister who is four years old. And they were outside playing, and all of a sudden, this dog came out of nowhere and was going to attack his younger sister right there. Cute kids. But this dog comes rushing at the young four-year-old girl, and Bridger, without thinking, steps in the way and shields his younger sister taking the attack for her. And after surgery, he's perfectly fine, but that gets me thinking. John 15, 13, greater love, brothers and sisters. Greater love has no one than this, but they who give up their life for their friends. 
Jesus has exactly done for us. When Satan came bull rushing right at us, ready to attack us, to hurt us, to harm us, Jesus steps in the way. He takes the full attack. He takes it all upon himself as he's hanging on the cross. And now he gives us a wonderful example. In the midst of all the chaos, all the unrest, all the sin in this world right now, he gives us a wonderful example to live out lives as his people in love and self-sacrificial service to others. And by his spirit, he gives us the strength to never weary in doing good. Because it's here in these dark times that we live in that we have the faith, the assurance to believe, to trust, and to live in the reality that Jesus has won the victory already. He sealed it. Paul says elsewhere in Galatians, he says, Let us not be weary in doing good, for we will reap in due season if we don't give up. God give us the strength to do so, living in the reality each and every day that Jesus has won the victory now and forever. In his name, amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding may keep your hearts and minds in and through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.